You're listening to The Human Factor from Inc. Magazine. I'm Eric Schoenberg, the CEO of Inc. and Fast Company. Web Summit. What began as a modest gathering of Irish geeks, bloggers, journalists, and other odds and ends outside Dublin in 2009 has grown into a portfolio of massive events, attracting well over 100,000 attendees every year around the world. The attendees and speakers include unicorn founders, prominent tech writers, politicians, big tech sponsors, and thousands upon thousands of wannabes. With the return to live events this year, they'll flood into Lisbon for the Granddaddy Event Web Summit, Toronto for the North American version, Collision, and Kuala Lumpur for the Asian offshoot Rise. The entrepreneur behind these tech mega meccas is Patty Cosgrave, a soft spoken Irishman who, by his own admission, knew more about music conference, uh, concerts and political movements than tech when he launched Web Summit. Not only has he built a remarkable growth business, but he's also led it through a pandemic, which required a whiplash-inducing pivot from live to virtual in a matter of months. There's a lot to be said here about business building, leadership, agility, and figuring out how to bring a whole zoology of techies together, show them a good time, and keep them coming back. Welcome. Patty Cosgrave. Thanks a million. It's great to be here. Really appreciate it. Uh, Patty, great to have you on the show. Where are you calling in from? I'm in uh, I'm in Dublin, Ireland at the moment, where it's um, incredibly hot. And obviously in Ireland, we don't have air conditioning in our houses. So the, the windows are unfortunately open, wide open here, but hopefully the sound quality holds up. Now, well, good. What counts as incredibly hot in Dublin? 26, 27 degrees. I, I, maybe that's like 80 Fahrenheit or something like that. I have no idea. Yeah. But it's hot. Hot hot for an Irishman. I think he got sunburned today. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you are one of the world's great conveners. Have you always been a connector, even as a kid? Um, that's a, yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, um, the, uh, Maybe, I mean, in, in university, I got very involved in a debating society. So in, in the UK and Ireland, in Cambridge, Oxford and Trinity in Dublin, there are um, three debating societies that are hundreds of years old. And I, I happened in my first week in, in college to go and take some free beers in, in this debating uh, society. And over the next kind of three or four years, I ended up getting very involved and eventually bringing guests like John McCain and Archbishop Desmond Tutu, Senator John McCain, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, and many others from around the world uh, to Trinity to speak to um, uh, to students. So in, in some sense, maybe I had some background in bringing people together, but um, uh, nothing, nothing, nothing in terms of a, a tech conference. Um, you strike me as possibly being um, an introvert, which which maybe some people would find a, an odd status for <clears throat> someone with your calling. Uh, do you see yourself that way? Um, maybe. I mean, I'm. I you know, I think that maybe i don't yeah I, I i mean i don't really know i've never I've, I've never really thought about it you know when we when we build our events i think the focus is just focusing on attendee experience and we've tried to do that relentlessly for the last decade and some people seem to like it and what started as something 
you know, incredibly small, you know, has turned into something much, much bigger. Yes, well, indeed it has. Um, just on the introvert-extrovert scale, uh, obviously you've never, like most Americans, taken dozens of bud, BuzzFeed polls <laughs> about whether you're an introvert <laughs> or an extrovert. Um, after you graduated from Trinity, it seemed like your first love was politics. Um, you uh, headed Rock the Vote about getting out the vote. Um, uh, your first entrepreneurial startup was a company called My Candidate, I think, about how to analyze the positions of candidates in, uh, in voters' districts. What attracted you to that topic and what then drew you away to tech? Um, well, in university, I was building you know, I, I didn't know it wasn't really they weren't called apps, but with with friends we were making, you know, with a guy called mate called Dave, we made a really terrible social network that nobody really ever, uh, ever used around kind of 2004, um, made all sorts of little kind of viral invite tools for even for events, actually, whilst I was in university. And um, then I I don't know, I just kind of stumbled upon marrying, uh, building a tech platform to help people figure out who to vote for in, in, in an election. So I was, I was always drawn to kind of software uh, and design, um, not not intentionally, it's just something that I was interested in. Um, I didn't really think about building a business ever. I just thought about building kind of fun, cool things. Um, and then, yeah, I, w I was very struck by the fact that um, I was going to kind of tech conferences, but they were in San Francisco or they were in Hong Kong and Dublin didn't really have anything. And I just thought, well, Maybe I can persuade some you know, entrepreneurs uh, to come to Dublin and talk to the then very, very small kind of startup community uh, in Dublin. And this might be kind of an interesting thing. And I just kind of set about organizing, uh, organizing a conference as I thought it should be, uh, I sh it should be organized. Ah, okay. And uh, the rest is history. Um, uh, an app, a social network built by a university student for other university students, that has a ring. It led to another yeah. small startup <laughs> company that I could pick up, but yeah. uh, the name escapes you right now. What? Uh, so, so that was the insight that that sort of was the seed for Web Summit. The idea that there were these conferences going on in tech hubs, but nothing like it in Dublin. But you know, Dublin certainly had its share of tech. You know, entrepreneurs is a great place for technology companies to get started. Well educated. Um, digitally savvy population, but but it wasn't you know it was, it's no San Francisco yet. It's no it's no Boston. Why did it take off in in Dublin? Do you think? Um, this is the I mean, I don't, I don't. I, yeah, I mean, I you know, in in some ways, I don't really know. We just had a you know a particular approach. I, I had a strong feeling. I, I at least assume that conferences of almost any scale use software to try and um, maximize what we call, what I've, we've always called meaningful connections. So at the core of a conference, um, it's about meeting people. And at the time, software was enabling people to meet online in a very efficient way through social networks. And I just really, I just thought that, look, the way to do this when people come together in the real world is to overlay the event with software and that software should improve the likelihood that the right people meet the right people. Because if you're in a room with 500 like-minded people, there's got to be, you know, just 1% of that room should surely be able to create, you know, value or just lead to interesting conversations for you as 
you know, for your business or for what, whatever you might happen to be doing. Uh, and so we set about just building the tools that might make that happen. Um, and over time, um, it really seemed to work and people seem to like our approach. Um, everybody that comes on site has to use all of our kind of software before you get to the event to use our software. So by the time you even get to the door, we know an awful lot about you. We're beginning to tell you who we think you should meet. Uh, we're beginning to tell other people, the most relevant people that you should meet are kind of seeing your profile beginning to get suggested to them. Um, and then, you know, now tens of thousands of people just start kind of messaging each other in a, you know, in a kind of in a frenzy, both during the event and before the event. And I think that leads to a lot more connections that matter at the scale of a 10,000 person event. It's, it's a near impossibility to just expect that you can walk around and bump into the right people. But there's literally no reason that some good software um, that can infer a lot about you and that you can give a lot of feed a lot of information into can't um, be sufficiently sophisticated to kind of match you um, with uh, with relevant people to your business. So that's what we've spent the last kind of ten years doing, and it 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 seems to seems 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 to work. It's not. I mean, the idea that software. I mean, software is changing every industry. So this is there's nothing startling about this whatsoever. I don't think. Uh, I do think that the emphasis on making connections among attendees or, or within the community of speakers who, who come, and it's a fairly large community, you have so many prominent people come as speakers, is part of the secret sauce that Web Summit has. When I first heard about it and became a, a, a regular speaker there myself, it was yeah. recommended as a place where you could go meet other speakers and that Web Summit took mm. special care to make sure that that happened. Um, I think that's really nice. I, I think about the the technology that you use to enable those connections. They must have evolved uh, over ten years. Uh, the the I mean, all kinds of technology technologies yeah. do these days, and and uh, particular when it comes to that kind of artificial intelligence. Can walk if you walk us through if you don't mind the the capabilities yeah. of this connection software that you had at the beginning to what it can do now. Sure. Yeah, well, I, I, I was very lucky that I was living with um, a academic statistician who's now kind of a, you know, a full-blown professor. And it was, um, it made it very easy, the two of us working together to build some of the first kind of what, what people call algorithms. But ultimately, any algorithm is, you know, it's, it's just a basic formula it's i think there's a lot of hype around um algorithms and machine learning they're just statistical approaches to trying to solve for a particular uh, outcome so that's all all we do i mean we've not always got it got it got it right you know at times there's been kind of uh, terribly bad outcomes where you know two people arrive at web summit there's say 70,000 people and the top two recommendations are a former you know basically somebody's getting recommended their former wife and the wife who happens to be there is getting recommended the number one person they should talk to is their recently divorced husband um so you know we, we people sh people people share their phone books with us um and lots of information and that that allows us to begin to figure out um how we now recommend the people you should meet to fall into two buckets. So first of all, we try and figure out, and this is the easy part, who at the event you likely already know that we should just alert you that these people happen to be there. Because at the scale of 70,000 people, that can be very daunting. And it's very efficient sometimes to immediately connect with some people that you already know. 
and then we interleave. So every second recommendation will be somebody we think you don't know based on everything we can tell about you, but we pretty much think you should know them. And this recommendation is happening on the sort of the opposite side of the mirror, um, where your profile is getting prominently, you know, displayed to uh, a portion of the attendees as well. And you know, we run lots of experimentation because. You know, th this isn't a, a, there's no such thing as a perfect recommendation uh, system, um, but it seems to be used relentlessly, uh, certainly by our attendees. When you are a speaker at the event, you do have the, you know, there's a small world effect where, first of all, you're probably already very, very deeply connected within, within tech, certainly if you're speaking at Web Summit. And then you also happen to be in the speaker room. Uh, and in addition to maybe using our software, we have a dedicated team to try and help you navigate the event and try and maybe set up meetings uh, in advance. So as, as a speaker, you're kind of doubly spoiled, but as an attendee, you, you do get to have a, you know, an incredibly powerful tool uh, in your hand. And, you know, people, you know, people seem to like it. It doesn't work for absolutely everyone, um, but it seems to work for, for most people enough to not just propel Web Summit to the scale that it is, but also to help us start other events uh, elsewhere in the world that, you know, that, that are, They've scaled faster than Web Summit, but are certainly not at the scale of Web Summit as of yet. Yes. Um, well, everything you've just said reinforces my impression that the Web Summit makes an extraordinary attempt to connect people, and that that is part of the secret of its growth for sure. Um, it has been one of the things that certainly has kept me coming back. Um, but there's other elements to the success of Web Summit, and I think are particularly highlighted by the way that you are able to pivot. Uh, when the pandemic arrived. I mean, when you began to see what this disease was doing and how it was shutting down travel and closing borders and uh, making people scared to be in the same room with each other, it must have felt like an arrow aimed at the heart of your business. And yet you kept going. Tell me about how that felt and how you decided to make the, the pivot to redirect the company the way you did yeah well i you know i think we're 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 i i i would never like to to claim that we that it was massively challenging because you know we had 50 engineers uh you know on our you know over 50 kind of engineers and people building uh, and designing product uh, on our team so as an event organizer we're probably first and foremost Somebody, we, we build software and that meant that on March 2nd, we could shut our offices globally and cancel all of our in-person events and immediately pivot to running them online. And a lot of people had attended Web Summit in the past, often from very far away locations like New Zealand, where they bought tickets to the event, but were, were virtual attendees um, because they knew they could use the web and mobile app. Uh, to essentially message and communicate with anybody and set up meetings. They might meet face-to-face -face in Lisbon because they were in Auckland, uh, but they were using mm -hmm. um, our, our web and mobile apps in, in 2018 and 2019 to do that. So from our point of view, the only kind of couple of killer features that were missing to transition to fully online uh, was video calling. So we had no video kind of um, conferencing uh, feature inside our, our existing web and kind of mobile app. Um, and so we just got to work and we, you know, built a, you know, a pretty great product um, that the UN have now used for their events and some, you know, in, 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 in the coming months, some of the biggest uh, kind of conferences in the world will, uh, will start to use. So um, nobody got let go. We hired people. Um, 
um everything kind of worked out great but we're like that's not because of any great um strategic bold decision or anything like that it just happened that by fluke we had decided at the very start that we were just going to build software and this was going to this would propel our events to be differentiated and and make them great uh, in our view at least um and then the pandemic hit and we were kind of built almost for that environment so we just got very very lucky you know i'd love to i'd of course love to expound my greatness uh, as i heroically <laughs> guided the company through the through the, through the pandemic but in, you know in truth i spent a lot of time talking with friends who i've got to know over many years who run purely non-digital events you know very very analog almost use no software and they were in a very very challenging uh situation and, and some of them did a really kind of great job but you know in our case you know in our case we just got incredibly lucky that we'd spent the previous decade building software ah okay well patty your secret is safe with me <laughs> let's let's talk about um uh, so let, let's talk about live events because we're going back to them. Yep. Uh, the Web Summit in Lisbon this November will be uh, a return to live events. Are are you confident that um, that you have the precautions and the um, in hand, and that you have the confidence of the public health authorities in Portugal to pull it off? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we started very modestly. You know, we thought, okay, look, we we might get five thousand people together, um, and almost as every week or week has gone by, we've increased that to kind of ten thousand and fifteen thousand and twenty thousand and twenty-five thousand. We keep on updating the uh, Portuguese kind of health authority, and I think we'll we, we'll hit the maximum yeah. threshold um, for you know a, a safe um, uh, event. Uh, in Lisbon, so there, you know there should be about forty thousand people that will join us uh, from around the world, and um, we've built in uh, all of the you know protocols and then some more um, that should be in place. Uh, people will have to have uh, proof of vaccination, uh, and failing that, um, they'll have to go and take a PCR test that will only be valid for um, for seventy two hours. So it's a you know it's a, effectively everyone will be vaccinated that's at the event, um, and. Yeah, I mean, I'm just excited that you know everybody from the Werner Vogels, the CTO of Amazon, who you've met many times at the you know at Web Summit, is coming back. As yeah. are a whole new generation of startups that I've never met. All of these founders who've whose companies have kind of thrived, almost growing from nothing just before the pandemic. Some being created during the pandemic and now are already kind of runaway successes. So there's almost like a, a generation of companies that. Both of us, all of us, haven't ever met any of the founders in person, um, and I think Web Summit will provide one of the first real opportunities for the tech ecosystem to get back together and meet face to face. And there are lots of new faces, um, probably more so than any year before, because we've spent a year away from each other. So I'm just really looking forward to that. Let's talk about um, business models. Um, the lines of revenues that Web Summit attracts are. Um, you know, multifoliate, I would think. You've got ticket sales and sponsorships and so forth. Um, can you break it down for us? What what uh, what brings in the money at Web Summit? Yeah, sure. Well, I think I think breaking kind of Web Summit down into three components is yeah, is helpful. So we started. We wanted to build. You know, hopefully 
it's massive. Eventually, we wanted to build the kind of biggest gathering of entrepreneurs in the uh, in the world, and you know we've been fortunate to date that we've been able to do that. In doing that, we built a whole lot of software, uh, and now we're you know we're beginning to make that software available, at mostly to the largest events in the world, as opposed to just the the long tail uh, of events. And that software is both to power online conferences and all the offline components of uh, of running an event of 100 or 200 uh, thousand uh, thousand people uh, and then we, we we have a small venture fund that um, backs some of the most interesting startups that we see uh, through uh, through web summit so to come back to the event itself uh, yeah it's it's broadly broken down into uh, partners and exhibitors uh, what we call partners and exhibitors and then ticket sales and Partners and exhibitors basically fall into you know very large ones like uh, Amazon or Google, um, right the way down to you know very early stage uh, companies. Um, on ticketing broadly, you know most people buy a, a kind of a ticket to Web Summit. It's a, maybe about a thousand dollars is maybe the current price of a ticket, uh, and then there are two sort of premium level tickets. One is about five thousand euros, maybe that is about six thousand dollars. Uh, and the other is about 25,000 euros. I don't know what that is in dollars exactly, maybe 27, dollars $28,000. Uh, and they just give you kind of slightly differentiated levels uh, of access. Uh, they're mainly, those tickets are mainly for Bitcoin bros, uh, and we welcome them uh, at our uh, event if they want to go buy those tickets. Uh, best of luck to them. I will not stand in their way. Um, so... That's that's kind of basically what we do, and uh, people come from all over the world. Uh, you know, about 180 different countries. The major markets are um, um, the UK is the biggest, uh, the US is the second biggest, and then Germany wow. and France. And, and those are the those are kind of the huge markets. Um, and wow. then you'll find you'll find startups, which is wonderful, from literally every country on earth. And um, that's. I think that's the big, you know, one of the biggest trends over the last decade has been the, you know, Silicon Valley has has gone global uh, and startups, you write about them all the time. They're just literally coming from uh, everywhere, which is, which is fantastic. And now with the pandemic, it's abundantly clear that you really can start a company from anywhere uh, and build a team that's based anywhere. And that's, uh, that's going to be incredibly inspiring and exciting to uh, a, a, a new generation of entrepreneurs who thought previously they could only do it in Silicon Valley. Um, so it's great. Yes, it is a really healthy development. Great to see the democratization of entrepreneurship, for sure. There's, a, um, there's an ancillary uh, event at Web Summit and often at the, at the Partners Collision and, and and rise, I, I call them partners, so yep. the, the offshoots, yep. whatever, um, called founders. Can you tell us about that and, and what's the purpose? Yeah, so w when we first organized uh, Web Summit, we thought we should um, organize a conference within the conference for our speakers who are mostly the founders of, uh, of startups or tech companies. Um, and that event runs for two days after after web summit so it's kind of like a little reward for all the speakers who fly in and you know they do a bit of hard work and lots of prep um mm -hmm. uh to par partake in the event and then we wine and dine them and it's just it's we, it, we try to find the kind of 150 most interesting uh entrepreneurs on the planet uh, we try to refresh it constantly so it's not about the entrepreneurs that have built the companies that we all know uh, and use it's always about the next wave 
uh, of uh, of entrepreneurs. And so, probably 80, 75, 80 percent uh, of the of, of of the founders kind of fall into that broad category. They're in the process. Uh, of building a great company um, and then we like to bring in kind of a mix of people who've kind of done it uh, and a sprinkling of people including yourself um, who uh, who well you've, you've built a great company as well um, but you know you're also somebody of immense interest to any founder with an interesting story to tell because you've got you know a pretty incredible uh, platform well sure and vice versa those those people are of intense interest to me and my team at Inc and Fast Company. Yeah, yep. Patty, let's talk about you for for a second. Uh, one of the uh, one of the consequences of the success of Web Summit is that you've become uh, planned or not a kind of a public persona, and uh, you know it's it's not hard to find uh, when you Google Patty Cosgrave controversies around things you've said or uh, moves you've made, like moving Web Summit from mm. Dublin, where it was originally, to Lisbon and, and so forth. Um, yeah. how, does, how does that feel, um, the uh, sort of the, the, the fact that, you know, the, the press is sort of hanging on your and social media are hanging on your every word? Has that changed your persona or the way you approach, um, uh, you know, the, the way you lead your life? Um. I, do, I, do, I, I mean, maybe I'm blind, but I, I, I don't, you know, I don't really think so. Um, there's certainly in the in the context of Web Summit, when it when it moved, um, you know, to Lisbon, it really just outgrew Dublin. But in outgrowing Dublin and moving to Lisbon, it left a kind of a deficit of you know, over 100 million dollars a year uh, in terms of uh, economic benefit to the city. So it was a huge blow to the city. It was by far and away the largest. Uh, uh, kind of business event that ever was ever held uh, in Ireland. Um, so you know that 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 was a difficult thing, I think, for a lot of people. Uh, but by going to uh, Lisbon, Web Summit just kind of thrived and um, and and really grew in 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 scale massively. Our footprint now is five x more than five x what it ever was uh, in um, uh, in Dublin. Mm -hmm. um, with regard to you know, I've I've. I've had a particular interest in um, in, in whistleblowing. Uh, you know, I think whistleblowers perform you know a very important public function, um, not just in government uh, circles uh, when they uncover you know maybe egregious surveillance by you know by a government, um, but also sometimes in the private sector uh, when it comes to you know financial impropriety uh, or uh, or fraud. And I set up a whistleblowing um, kind of agency. Uh, in Ireland just over a year ago when the pandemic um, started. Uh, and one of the first whistleblowers uh, that kind of came forward um, through that program um, ended up triggering the first ever criminal investigation into a, into a prime minister in, uh, in Ireland. So it's been, it's been an intriguing uh, year. Uh, there's no history in Ireland of a, of a very senior politician, deputy prime minister, prime minister ever being placed under formal criminal investigation uh, for corruption. So uh, it's it's kind of been very interesting. And obviously, uh, when you're involved in, you know, in something like that, you can, you know, you'll definitely generate a degree of heat because, you know, that's not a great thing for the governing political party uh, in the country where you live. So it's, uh, uh, yeah. but it's been eye opening and, and very satisfying to, you know, to help um, to help several whistleblowers uh, do what I think is is really noble work. 
Yes, that sounds like really important work, um, although not a great way to make friends in high places in government. <laughs> um, you, uh, you know, in addition to moving um, uh, Summit from, from Dublin to Lisbon, you moved Collision from New Orleans to Toronto, um, Rise from Hong Kong to Kuala Lumpur. Um, it, was it in every case uh, growing, outgrowing the original venue or was there uh, another calculation that, that you had in mind? Um, in, the case of, in the case of Lisbon, I genuinely think it is the, I think it's the nicest startup city uh, in Europe. It, like it's such a beautiful city. The weather is incredible. It's sort of like the West Coast it's Europe's West Coast. Lisbon is uh, Lisbon is such an incredible city. So many kind of tech companies have started there since, have moved there because of coming to you know to Web Summit. And there's just a you know a great vibe in the city, um, and that was a large part uh, you know of the reason for um, for both going there uh, and staying there. We had incredible offers from the British, the French, the German, the Italian, and Spanish governments. Uh, to move Web Summit to their capital cities just over two and a half years ago. Uh, and in the end, we basically chose the lesser of those offers uh, just to, to stay in Lisbon because I, I just, as a city, I think it's very much on the up. And the same applies in the case of um, Collision. It was in uh, New Orleans. I think it's a magic, New Orleans is a magical city. We were, you know, sort of thinking of kind of moving. A lot of people suggest either Los Angeles or uh, San Francisco. That's, you know, possibly really where you should have a kind of a, you know, a major kind of tech conference. Um, and then yeah, you, through, through a random series of kind of um, consequences, I got quite connected to, uh, to Toronto. And then you started looking at the data and it was almost similar to Lisbon. Here's a, a city that was often off people's radars and suddenly and kind of quietly in the background you could see the you know the huge growth in the number of kind of tech jobs the number of people relocating to toronto and it just sort of felt like we could surf a wave that was already building it was kind of the same with um uh, with lisbon so we picked those two cities kind of on that basis if that hopefully that kind of makes makes sense sure sure um Let's kind of spin the, the ball forward. Um, the conference business has been through such tremendous change. You've, you've led a lot of it with a focus on technology. Kind of cast forward five years or 10 years. What the, what's the business going to look like? And are the changes that were wrought by the pandemic going to stay with us? Or was this just a very detour? That is a very good question. I think that's an incredibly pertinent question. It's something I, you know, I've spent quite a considerable amount of time talking to founders, not just in the kind of events business, but lots of different industries. And I'm, I'm not great on making, you know, predictions. I always just think, look, is there data that indicates what the future may look like? And there are countries that are much more and have been much more open uh, over the last six months, uh, certainly the country I'm from, which is, which, is, uh, which is Ireland. And if you look at countries, for example, where music festivals uh, are back open, um, they've been selling out tickets in, you know, in record time. There's a lot of compelling data that suggests that group-based in real life activities are back above um, uh, pre-pandemic uh, levels. Now, the question is, 
is this a pendulum effect? My bet, if I am to predict anything, is yes, I think it's a bit of a, a pendulum where everybody's been effectively um, isolated for 18 months in most parts of the world. And there is going to be this wave like the Roaring Twenties. Perhaps it lasts for a year, maybe it lasts for two years, where everybody's just like, oh my God, I never want to eat dinner again on my own. I just want to eat dinner with friends. And everybody's kind of getting together. And you, you see this with massive staff shortages in restaurants not just in Ireland, but you know, kind of everywhere. A lot of restaurants are doing incredibly well in countries all over the world that are beginning to open up. Does that persist over the next decade? I think that's, you know, that's a huge question. There have been literally billion, tens of billions poured into tech companies that are predicated on the world remaining overwhelmingly virtual. Uh, and I think for a lot of those companies, some of which are publicly listed, their share prices be going sideways now for several months because initially, all of the smart analysts were like, this is here to stay. And then things begin to open up again. And humans being humans, I think we're the ultimate social creature on the planet. We wanted to see each other again. So I don't know how far back the pendulum will, will swing, but I think we're in for a year or two of, of big group-based in real life uh, activity. And then maybe we revert to a new normal uh, where virtual plays, I think maybe a bigger, if I'm to guess, uh, a little bit of a bigger role um, than it did pre uh, pre the pandemic. Okay, all right, good, thanks. Um, one of the great things about being you is that you are at the you know in the in the on the bridge of a ship that is sort of leading the way to the future of technology, so that you know what mm. the greatest minds in technology are thinking about at any given time. Um, yeah. What are the issues that you think are um, should be at the forefront of the conversation around tech and around society. What are the issues that you want to be highlighted in Lisbon in November? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think there are some dominant themes um, that have persisted for several years and only grown in importance. And this is very untechy, but at the same time, it is very techy. So tax. I think tax is a fundamental, a fundamentally important uh, issue. I think we're reaching, um, and I say this from Ireland, by the way, we're one of the only, I think now, seven countries on the entire planet blocking about the White House and the European Union's attempt and the OECD's attempt and the G20, uh, G20's attempt to create a new and first kind of global agreement around corporate tax. Silicon Valley was funded, uh, its inception, all of its seed capital, its Series A, its Series B, its Series B, its Series C, all came from uh, the U.S. government through, you know, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, DARPA, um, National um, mm -hmm. Science Foundation. And if you want real breakthrough innovation, you know, the, the private sector is, we're incredible at commercializing uh, breakthrough innovation. I mean, you go back, you take Steve Jobs, I think, you know, he's, nobody, was, nobody was better than packaging together other people's inventions into an incredible a consumer uh, good that be would become a runaway success. But if you looked at every key component inside the original iPhone, none of it was developed inside of kind of startups or the private sector. Literally everything was developed um, as a consequence of government, uh, government funding. And I think, you know, we have to do a better job collecting tax to fund the future breakthroughs that then end up getting commercialized by, uh, by great entrepreneurs. Um, so tax is a major issue, uh, I believe. 
Yeah, I mean, the other issues for a number of years, we did our first Bitcoin talks at Web Summit, our crypto talks at Web Summit in 2010. We then had a, a crypto dedicated stage. And I made the really obscure decision of removing the crypto stage uh, at Web Summit and distributing talks across several other stages. And partly I did that because I really didn't like the vibe uh, around crypto for a number of years. It kind of went through went through this really early phase of um, just nascent innovation where very few people really knew or understood what was happening. It then seemed to attract a bunch of shysters, if that's a word that people in America use. It just smacked of a lot of fraud. Uh, and I really worried about that. And now I think it's really in a great place. And I think a lot of the right people are involved uh, in the broad kind of crypto space. I think it's a lot of sensible money going in. Uh, and I think it's very much here to stay. So I just think that's uh, that's another kind of fascinating and important uh, theme. So I'll just give those two, tax and crypto. Okay, good, good. And that, and I crypto, you're talking about blockchain too, is broadly understood, not just currency. Yeah, Every, everything under that umbrella. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's really interesting. And yes, those are certainly important topics. You know, one, I, I, I'll put you a, a, a philosophical question to, to wind things up here. Um, you have the advantage in your role of rubbing elbows with some of the biggest thinkers in, you know, in the world. Um, and the, who would not want to be a keynoter at Web Summit or, or Collision or Rise? Um, knowing what's on the minds of, of, those, of those big thinkers, how do you feel about capitalism, which is at a particularly important crossroads of being tugged um, away from its moorings of shareholder supremacy towards something that's a little bit more complex, a little bit more nuanced and a, a little bit harder to define. Or, or maybe another way to put the question is, uh, for the future of free enterprise, are you an optimist? Yeah, I think I'm an optimist. I, I, I just think there is a, uh, we're, we're in a world where there are it's it's very simplified, but there are two versions of of, of capitalism. One is a, a very a state guided model which exists in uh, China, uh, and that is a pure copycat of what used to exist uh, in the United States. Um, the United States is a heavily, historically heavily state guided capitalist uh, system, um, and I think the um, constant chipping away at the power of the U.S. state. Um, has damaged the long-term innovative capacity uh, of uh, of the United States. So as, um, you know, I think there's a lot of very smart, uh, Will, uh, Bill Lazanik is a, you know, a, a fantastic economist, worries deeply um, along with Michael Hudson, who's another wonderful uh, economist, at the fact that today the majority uh, of the profits of the S&P 500 uh, go into share buybacks and bonds uh, and are no longer mm. going into, at the rates they historically did, um, into uh, R&D, which would drive the future kind of products of, of, of a lot of um, American companies. And, you know, I think uh, the Biden White House is very con considered on a lot of these issues, and they know that there's a lot that needs to be switched back on. America is this, I uh, you know, there's no 
country on earth has managed to be more spectacularly innovative in the last hundred years than the United States. All the ingredients are there. Um, but I think something has kind of slowed down over the last number of decades. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the retrenchment uh, of the state and of the government uh, in funding base and foundational uh, science. And as that's been happening, the very opposite has been happening in China, where the Chinese government uh, have been pumping ever more money uh, into very foundational um, R&D. And, you know, I think I think America will um, will pivot and will be back to its best days, um, hopefully under the Biden administration over the next uh, over the next four years. Okay, well, that is a, a hopeful note on which to end it. And whether the Chinese model of capitalism or the U.S. model of capitalism uh, prevails, um, we know that um, that your company, Patty, will have a conference there in the winning country. <laughs> I thank you so much for being being part of this. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. That's all for this episode of The Human Factor. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so you don't miss the next episode. The Human Factor is produced by Joshua Christensen with help from Blake Odom.